Ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Button Road Show with Robert Green. What is going on, brother? Oh, not much. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Listen, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. I'm just I'm going over your biography here, and I'm kind of starstruck at your accomplishments. Oh, you shouldn't be starstruck. I'm just a I'm just a writer. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> right off the bat, there's one thing that we have in common. You've yeah. worked over 80 jobs. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to estimate that with my girlfriend once. And <laughs> we got as high as like 56 or 57, but then I figured I couldn't remember them all. So it's somewhere between 70 and 80. <laughs> Yo, where you think you at, bro? Oh, uh, man, right now. Actually, I could count right now. If you, if you give me a second, I can really count every job I've had. Uh <laughs> I, I, last time I counted, I was at about 35 to 40 jobs, uh-huh. and I'm 27 right I'll, now. I'll say I'm probably at maybe, I'll say maybe 15 tops, and that's even uh-huh. counting summer youth jobs. <laughs> that just goes, you know, my, my wife showed me a picture on, on Instagram the other day where it said, it showed a straight line and said what people think is success, and then it yeah. showed a squiggly ass line and said what success actually looks like. So yeah. uh, it, it takes a while. Yeah. You go and, backwards, uh, you go forwards. Sometimes you just go left and right. Sure. Not always a straight, straight line. How d- how did you land on uh, becoming a writer? Well, um, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I knew since I was a kid that that was what I, you know, what my calling in life is. But I just couldn't figure out what what kind of writing. So I, when I graduated college, I thought I'd be a great novelist, which meant. Uh, bumming around Europe and doing many different jobs and kind of wandering. And then I tried journalism and didn't really like it and wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite my thing. And then I tried television and then Hollywood in Los Angeles here and that didn't work out. Um, and finally I just had really good luck. I met this man in 95, I think it was, who was a book packager, uh, basically kind of a person who produces books. And he asked me if I had an idea for a book, and I sort of improvised what would turn into the 48 Laws of Power. And while I was improvising it, it was a beautiful day in Italy, where I was at the time. I just had this sense that this was this was it. This was the right thing for me. I I was 35, 36 years old at the time, and I just I just knew I had discovered uh, the right fit for me. All right, so so you write Forty Eight Laws of Power, which uh, you know it's according to uh, what we're looking at right now, it's one of the most requested books in American prison libraries. <laughs> and uh, I know a lot of ex-cons who came out, and all they do is read. So if it's a good read in prison, it's a good damn read. So uh, how did you feel when you put this book out, and then you just started getting all this recognition? Well, uh, I was surprised happy uh you know you write a book and you have no idea it's my first book and um you know for people who are familiar with the 48 laws it's a it's a strange book you could hate it but you could at least say you've never seen anything like it it's structured in a weird way uh quotes on the side different you know i break up the material in these different categories so it could have bombed you know people could have said god this is just too weird for me it's also long um so I had no idea, and, and uh, slowly it started having success, you know, first in business and Wall Street and politics, and then I started hearing in year, I think 2000, maybe 01, 
that it was getting infiltrating the music world and, and hip hop and people like Jay-Z were starting to quote from it. And it just took off slowly year by year until it's, it keep it sells better now than it did when it first came out. <laughs> That's crazy. That's that, usually how it happens, yeah. man. It, 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 it's usually, it doesn't get the acclaim. Like, like one thing, like, I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but people, one of the biggest movies, like, of maybe the last few years, like, I won't say last few years, but a, a, gener a few generations was Scarface, which a lot of people don't realize, like, bombed in the box office, but right. is really, like, like it's got such a cult following, which, I mean, can't be denied. Yeah, and this book definitely yes. has a fucking cult it's following. Like a cult following, it's, it's insane. You got entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes. They give a huge list here on fucking uh, Wikipedia.com. We also have to remind you, this is uncensored radio, so you might hear us uh, curse you. Welcome to do the same. Okay. <laughs> I'll remember that because I do swear a lot. That's good. Cool See, this is bonding right here. This is what is ha That's what's happening right now. But uh, the next book, The Art of Seduction, take us through that because, you know, you, you put out 48 Laws of Power. You're seeing... Uh, gradual success how do you approach the next project well the, the 48 laws of power was the kind of book I wanted to write because no, there was no other book out there like it you know the, there's this world of power I mean I kind of compare it to like this curtain and behind the curtain powerful people are using these Machiavellian manipulative laws but no one's really talking about it and I wanted to rip the curtain away and show you what's really going on well a lot of what I consider to be power in this world involves the ability to seduce people, to charm them, to get them to do what you want without them even being aware of it. And so in the 48 Laws, I had stories of seducers and con artists and you know all sorts of, of types of people who, who were brilliant at the game. So it seemed natural to do a book on seduction, but just like the 48 Laws, there's no book out there about seduction that's that's I consider an intelligent book it's usually you know just how to pick up a woman in a bar or something but I wanted to get into the psychology of how you make people how you seduce people and that could be a woman in a bar but it could also be a colleague in your office or a, an election a presidential election or a product you're trying to market they're all seductions they're all a kind of power and so I wanted to write that book because there was nothing out there like it. And I did a lot of research, historical research. The actual physical research had been done in my 20s uh, when I lived in Europe, etc. But <laughs> the historical <laughs> research uh, you know, was, was, was a lot of fun. And um, I don't know, it's probably the most fun book I've ever written, you know, personally. It, it, was, it, was, it was a blast. Maybe the 50 book was fun too, but those were my two favorites. Yeah, we're gonna get that. To, we're gonna get to that one in a bit. But uh, just on the art of seduction, is this one of those books that you know you're kind of chilling at a bar? People know you because you're Robert Greene, and uh, they come up to you and they try these. Has anybody ever tried anything that you've ever written on you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this. Uh, there's this guy um, Neil Strauss who wrote the book The Game, um, and he had a party one night, and there were these two. Um, blonde uh, twins, identical twins, who were huge fans. <laughs> I already like the where the story's going. Uh, they I were already two like huge what's fans going. of the art of seduction, and they, they clearly, it was clear to me, were, were using things in the book 
uh, on me that evening. Um, and the problem is that, you know, since I wrote the book, I, I kind of know what somebody's up to. It's hard to fool me. Um, so, yeah, but the other side of the coin is it gets a little difficult because the moment, you know, like a woman meets you, they're, they're, their radar is up. They're suspicious immediately that even if I cough, there's some kind of, you know, hidden political or seductive maneuver behind it. So it also cuts the other way. I've been watching a lot of uh, Darren Brown. Are you uh, familiar with Darren Brown? No, excuse my ignorance. He's he's a uh, hypnotist, like a famous hypnotist from the UK. Oh. And uh, I've been learning a lot of conversational hypnosis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I've heard of him. Do you feel that uh, seduction is a form of conversational hypnosis? Well, in a, in a way, um, let's put it this way. When you're facing another person um, on any level, it could be you're after sex or you want to sell them something, they're naturally resistant to you. We're all resistant because life is hard and we have our own problems and we don't want to necessarily give in to people. Um, so you're facing somebody with their walls up, um, and your goal is to lower those walls. Um, so hypnosis, you're, you're kind of hypnotizing them in the sense that through your words, through your manner, by appealing to things that you know that they're going to like, by mirroring them, mirroring people is a huge element of, of hypnosis, the kind of hypnosis I'm talking about. Yeah. You slowly kind of lower their resistance, lower their willpower, um, and now you have room uh, to influence them. So it could be you know, likened to a form of hypnosis. Mm. Now let's talk uh, 33 strategies of war. That's what I'm looking at, man. <laughs> you was just looking up notes on it? No, no, no. Actually, I was looking up notes on uh, the 48... Uh, 48 laws of power? Yeah, that's why I was so, so quiet. I just was able to find one of those uh, little free trials. <laughs> first couple pages, I was, I was looking through the table of contents. <laughs> yeah. So the 33 strategies of war, uh -huh. obviously, uh, you know, very different from the first two. So what did you feel you wanted to uh, basically get out through with, uh, uh, with this book? I, I think we're all familiar with, like, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, which is a very popular book uh, written a couple thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's an amazing book. But it's really kind of hard to understand how to apply it in your life. Um, it's a little bit abstract. So once again, I wanted to write a book that wasn't out there. I wanted to show you uh, the classic strategies of warfare throughout history, all cultures, all times, and how they actually can be applied in everyday life, um, in your office, even in personal relationships to some extent, uh, that these aren't just things that are have to do with bloodshed or killing people. They are strategies. And my books are all about strategies and kind of pro promoting a strategic way of looking at life. And so that's sort of what the 33 strategies are about. I think the greatest thing about these books is that uh, after you read them, after you learn what they're about, they empower you as a person. It's not one of those reads where it's just like a... Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah. You know, I don't want to bash oh, any books, but here. I, um, I, I really don't like that book. <laughs> I hope not. Um, <laughs> Unless you're in the, you know, 
You want you you want a guy to tie you up and uh, hold you down? Like <laughs> Listen, that. I mean, that's your cup of tea. You know, go ahead, buddy. You know, I'll support you and love you either way, brother. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're coming up on the fiftieth law. Yeah, which I was able to watch a a, a short. Uh, it was like a interview that that you guys did. You and Fifty did together. You uh-huh. know, and you said in the interview that you thought it was going to be much more intimidating meeting him. You guys kind of had a rapport together. So, uh, how was it like working with Fifty Cent on this book? Well, when I met him, it was kind of funny because he was expecting some older, kind of quiet, intimidating man, sort of professorial. And I was expecting this kind of gangster thug who I would be quaking in my shoes the moment I met him. (laughs) Either of us were what we expected. I'm kind of, you know, relatively nice guy, and I'm not that intimidating. And he actually, even more surprising, he's not that intimidating. He's, He's really friendly. He's nice. He looks you in the eye, kind of down to earth. I mean, I'm sure there's sides to him. I wouldn't want to mess with him. I'm sure there's, <laughs> nah, there's a dark absolutely side. Absolutely, I, I would. I, I would not want to get the Jaru treatment. <laughs> no, no, and I understand that. But on a personal level, he's like, he's kind of a really nice guy, and um, it was great to work with him. Um, I approached this like here are two people from pretty much opposite ends of the United States. I mean, Queens. Los Angeles, I'm sort of a, you know, nerdy, middle-class white guy, and we know where 50's from. And the thing, in, that's, that's what I think is really great about America, that we have all these, these different stories and worlds, but nobody puts them together. It's like we have to keep them so apart. Um, and I wanted to, he wanted, together we wanted to break them down and bring our, our two weird, different minds together and, and write a book because we we actually share a kind of a common philosophy of life. He's very strategic. He's really into strategies and warfare and thinking like that. He's also an amazing seducer, probably the best real life seducer I've ever met, or one of the best. <laughs> and um, so, putting our two different but similar minds together, we decided to write a book on what makes him so powerful. I, I wrote a book, you know, the 33 Strategies of War. The main character is Napoleon Bonaparte. I mean, there, there are many historical characters, but he's sort of the icon. And I considered 50 kind of the, hip, the Napoleon Bonaparte of hip-hop. And here I wouldn't have to sit there and read a book about somebody who's dead. I could look at him, study him, and figure out as a kind of a real-life laboratory what makes him powerful. And in spending a lot of time with him, which I did over the course of six, seven months, kind of determined that it's his attitude, his fearlessness, that is what makes him so powerful. So the 50th law is a meditation on what you can have in life if you can get closer to this kind of fearless philosophy. That's, and you, it definitely shows in uh, the art that he puts out and the things that he does. I mean, he's just conquered what he did, a lot. I mean, he's, I mean, people, p- people really talk about his music now, and I don't want to say anything negative. Uh, uh-huh. I have no problems with his last few albums I think his yeah, music a lot of now people. is better than his music huh? before personally whoa whoa I don't, I don't think anything's ever gonna be better than Get Rich or Die Trying just say that now but uh yeah I think I agree, would agree with you there yeah but like people try to say he's falling off I just feel like he's evolved and people don't like evolution cause people are saying the same thing now about Kanye West they don't like his new sound with uh, his two new singles he's released coming off the, the new album coming out but I think that when you look at 50 the way he he's basically uh 
he's a mogul and kingpin in, in more than one world. Basically, he's tops in two. You have to put him top and definitely in the rap world mm-hmm. and in the business world. And he dabbles yeah. in fashion, film, all sorts of other investments. He obviously vitamin water. You never, you never. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the acquisitions that he's been able to yes. like what uh, he's done. to get through, man. It's just fucking. Especially that vitamin water deal, man. That shit, fucking. That's bread right there. That is. That is serious fucking moolah. That was wow. And that takes uh, that takes fearlessness because that a lot of people in, try to do these things and to, to get into the boardroom, man. That takes that 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 you have to be a shark in there, man. He no, does. Yeah, I put Jay Z up there on the on the same. Maybe yeah. even higher than fifty in some ways. Um, but you know, like the music business is a is a really uh, is really like dog eat dog, and yeah. particularly. Uh, for rappers, et cetera, that the industry was massively exploited. People would have their one album, their one hit, and then they'd be gotten rid of. They were they were just basically used. Um, and to turn that dynamic around and to be uh, in the limelight and a viable artist and a businessman for now 10 years uh, is absolutely a remarkable achievement um, for him to be still in the conversation. Show oh, absolutely. That that the guy's a great strategist, he's super smart, uh, and he sort of figured out the game. I mean, look at how many artists don't last even more than even a couple of years. So I think we have to applaud people like him and Jay-Z. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I tell people, no matter what anything you want to say, from watching a few YouTube videos about Jay-Z, you have to admire where he came from because he, he's a kid from the projects like us. Yeah. Who, who I mean, Marcy Projects is way worse than Hope Gardens, where we grew up. And where where, where did you guys grow up? Uh, we grew up in Bushwick, in uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn. In Bushwick? Yeah. Yeah, we're still here, actually. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, Bushwick's like kind of, kind of a trendy place now, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. So it's basically becoming the new Williamsburg. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, right. They've yeah. taken basically the whole side of Bushwick that basically borders Greenpoint and that side of Williamsburg. And yeah. tried to call it now. They call it East Williamsburg. They don't want to associate oh. it with Bushwick, but they don't realize that just because you change the name doesn't mean any of the yeah. uh, meanings on the district or the district numbers. Or any it's of crazy. Stuff it's crazy. Yeah, some of, it's, some of that's not so great. I, I lived uh, in Brooklyn in the 80s. Uh, I lived in Fort Greene. Um, and, uh, the, you know, it was kind of on the border of Bedford Stuyvesant, which yeah, is Yeah, we know Fort Greene. Yeah. Which is separated by Myrtle Avenue, yeah, and it was pretty. It, it was pretty heavy back then. We 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 would get mugged regularly, et cetera. Yeah. And now I hear it's like it's even it's hipster haven <laughs> or heaven, if you will. There's 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 fucking uh, there's cafes and then tea I mean, shops on every brother, block now. My brother, uh, we we used to always take when we would take the L train home from the city. My brother always had a saying. He used to say the weirdos get off at Bedford. <laughs> now it's like the weirdos are on the train with you to you over in fucking Canarsie. They they walk to your house that, with you. They on that whole strip with you, bro, riding that shit through the villain. Everything, yeah, man. man. Bushwick, it, Bushwick's not what it used Brooklyn to be. Brooklyn as a whole, the city as a whole is different, but Bushwick, the Sty, Brownsville, well, not Brownsville. I'm not gonna say Brownsville. Yeah, Brownsville Bushwick, the Sty, you know, Park Slope, Fort Green. Those yeah. areas, these areas are changing rapidly, man. I know, I know. I've been there recently, and I, I didn't even recognize it. All the properties getting bought. There's condos on every block. Yes, it's... And uh, actually, I was reading something, actually. I mean, it kind of has to do with the, the, what we're talking about. But I was reading something where right now there's a big battle going on with uh, with the New York City Housing Authority because they plan on leasing some of their property off to uh, private developers to build uh, market-rate housing. 
And uh, basically, we, we learned what market rate is mm-hmm. in class for real estate class, and that's so that's basically uh, it. Won't be the they won't be selling off buildings or apartments, just areas around their, their development for uh, people to basically pay and move into overpriced piece of shit apartments. See, that's exactly yeah. why people need to read these books and empower themselves and get the <laughs> fuck out the projects. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is that people uh, well, there's obviously two sides of every story housing saying they need to do this to pay for the big backlog of repairs but then you have a bunch of people from some of these developments mad that they're moving in more people yeah, and getting rid of uh, public stupid. space and it's insane it, 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 it's crazy but the city's changing rapidly alright before we uh, before we veer off topic with the uh, books one more time you released yep. your fifth book in November yep. 2012 Mastery and uh, yep. I just want to ask why did you choose the figures that you chose to write about? We got Charles Darwin, uh, Paul Graham, the Wright brothers, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and Mozart. <laughs> well, um, there, and there are many more. Um, I wanted to write a book because um, I think we're heading into a different kind of world than maybe 10, 15 years ago, where it's, it's really competitive out there uh, more than ever before. Um, and I think people who have real skill um, and real solid knowledge and skill are going to be the ones running the world and in and, and, and the best positions. And that means that you've, that you've mastered your field. Uh, and I, I'm fascinated by people. It could be sports. It could be music because there are athletes in the book and there are great musicians like Coltrane and you mentioned Mozart. I'm interested in how people get to a point where they have such a great feel for what they're doing that they don't have to think anymore. It's just like at their fingertips. So I took the greatest masters, past and present, researched them highly. I interviewed contemporary figures. And I'm showing you, the reader, it's not about being born a genius or an IQ or anything. There is a process that people go through to become really creative in their field and I'm going to break it down. I'm going to break down those myths that people have and show you that actually anybody can get there if you know, if you understand the process that leads to mastery. So I want to kind of debunk and, and, and demystify the whole, the whole thing. That's, that, that, that's crazy because, uh, I mean, you just said mastery is the book and you said there's sports figures in it. And, uh, I mean, one of the things I want to say, like, like a quote is like, uh, you know, Michael Jordan uh, you know, when he retired, when he was doing you know, all the commercials, or when he came back, uh, he had one that was like the uh, the commercials, like where he was sitting there, he was like, I made you believe that I didn't have to do it. I made you believe that it was God-given. And yeah, exactly. Like, I made you believe this was just here. I didn't have to work for it. Well, then, I mean, let's, like, let's, let's face some facts. I mean, I love basketball, and I played in high school, but I wasn't born with the physical skills of a Michael Jordan. So there is, there is, um, or I wouldn't be talking to you guys right yeah. now, but there is, um, so there is a physical component that, that not everybody can become Michael Jordan. I make that clear in the book. Yeah. But that said, somebody like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant, or even I'm sure LeBron, these people work harder than anybody else. It's all work and discipline. Yes. They happen to love the game. But, you know, you take someone like LeBron, his greatest weakness was his outside shooting. He didn't really have much of a jump shot. That guy's a machine now with a three-point shot. Yeah. That comes from endless That practice. comes from working. You look at, you look at all, De- Derrick Rose, I don't want to cut you off, but you look at the yeah. way he shouldered the load his first few seasons 
when he had bad three-point shooting in that series against Boston, and he showed it. He didn't have bad games, but he showed it and said, I need to hit three-point shots better, even though he was. And he went to the gym and came back the next season bombing. Like, these guys, they, they know what they got to do. And if you yeah. want to be great, you got to work on your weaknesses. You can't keep building what's already good. You got to work on your weaknesses because yeah, there will still that, be a hole. And that takes a lot of boring work in the gym of, sheer repetition and we don't like to think about it we like to think that they're just born that way because then it makes it seem like you know there's we have an excuse for not having to work exactly so hard. yeah but in people fact, have to have excuses yeah yeah um you know i make the point there's a the ten thousand hour rule that a lot of people might have heard of you know that great chess players and musicians they've kind of done studies that after ten thousand hours of practice something they end up elevating to another level in chess. They become a grandmaster. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, someone like uh, Kobe or, or Michael Jordan, they, they've put in well beyond those 10,000 hours. So the key to mastery, just to sum it all up, is choosing a field that you love. Because you're not going to be able to put in all of those shooting and sitting in a gym by yourself doing that unless you really love the game and you're also highly competitive. But you've got to have choose a field or a career that in some way excites you. Otherwise, you're never going to put in enough hours to get to that high level. Absolutely. It looks yeah. like you're mastering your craft. You have five books out. So uh, are we expecting a sixth? Well, unless I die before I get finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to stop. Um, the, the the sixth book is um, a kind of a expansion of one of the chapters in Mastery, which is on social intelligence. And basically, um, I'm looking at these uh, kind of these 24 or so timeless elements of human nature that go back thousands of years. And I'm going to make it so clear to you why people act the way they do, generally, irrationally, um, so that when you're in your in any situation at work or whatever, you're going to be able to have a better understanding. You're going to be able to read them. You're going to be able to decode them um, based on on this sense of of human nature and these sort of elemental, timeless laws that govern what people do. And then also how you can read them in 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 the in the present, sort of decode their body language, what they say, etc. So I'm going to make hopefully the ultimate book on that subject you know i gotta go through i've got to read all of them before we even touch on the sixth one i'm gonna okay. start knocking these books yeah. off and we got to bring you back on the air at some point it was a real pleasure having you on can you just tell the listeners one more time where they can find your books and where they can reach